You're listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Your hosts are Jason Malicki and Jeff McKay. So, Jeff, before we introduce our guest today, I want to warn you. I had a double espresso this morning. And, uh, you know, that might have me a little bit on edge now. Now also, so our guest, I'm really excited about, about having, having Ian on today. Ian, I can't decide how best to introduce him. I can't decide if I want to introduce him as, um, an email marketing ninja or an email marketing rock star. Cause I know that those are his two favorite, <laughs> favorite descriptions of himself. So, mm, shoot me now. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, our guest today is Ian Brody. Uh, backstory on Ian, I won't I won't bore everyone with the details, but but the first podcast I ever recorded was 10 years ago with Ian, and it was sort of a trial balloon to figure out podcasting in general. And it took five years before I actually got on the train and, and, and then reached out to Jeff and, and then became this show. So so Ian's actually like the very first podcast guest I ever had. And he taught me a lot about how to be a host actually in that episode. Hopefully I do better this time around. So anyway, uh, without further uh, noise, Ian Brody is with us today to talk about email marketing. So Ian, why don't you give us a quick intro and you can let me know which of those those two refrains you like better oh yes well um i, I think they like the refrain better that says uh, you know i'm in brody i'm the guy that put jeff oh not jeff put jason off podcasting for five years <laughs> before he came back to it i think that's a fantastic achievement by me um yeah, so I mean, I have been, I had a proper job once. It's so long ago. It was the 80s and early 90s. I can't really remember it, but it was something to do with R&D. I spent about a decade or so, I think it was 13 years in corporate consulting with a couple of big firms, set out on my own um, I think 15 years ago, um, have been helping consultants, coaches, trainers, other professional service firms with their marketing since then. Um, but about a decade ago, I wrote a book Almost on a whim, um, I was just kind of people prodded me to write it because they liked my emails. They said, you know, the thing you're kind of best at is writing these emails every week. Why not write a book about that? So I did. It became, I think, it's certainly got the most five-star reviews of any book on email marketing on Amazon. It's probably the best-selling one in the last decade. It's difficult to tell. Um, and in the probably about the last year, I've narrowed down my focus from marketing in general to really trying to focus on email marketing, on newsletters. Um, particularly for people who work in service type businesses where their goal with a newsletter is not to blast people with sales pitches all the time. It's to build credibility and trust over time. And I call it unsnooze your inbox because I think one of the most important factors that's massively overlooked is the fact that if you're in a service type business or any type business where there's a long sales cycle where people don't buy instantly when they come to your website, you've got to keep in touch on an ongoing basis. And the only way people are going to stay tuned into your newsletters, your emails, partly it's if they're really valuable, but, you know, value's 10 a penny. We can go and scan the web if we want to find something useful. It's if they're vaguely interesting. If they smile or laugh or grimace or anything, if they, you know, display some kind of emotion when they're reading your email, then that's a good thing and they're more likely to read the next one and the next one. And so when they make a decision, when they need help, when they're thinking of a topic, you're top of mind for them, or at least within the decision set. So that's what I'm trying to do with uh, Unsnooze Your Inbox. You know, Ian, um, it's funny. 
you are definitely a teacher at heart um, because you helped me when I started Prudent Pedal as well. And I, I think I shared this, this with you. Um, but the thing that I absolutely love about you is your authenticity. And I'll, I'll never forget this. Um, my first year doing Prudent Pedal, I've watched one of your live webinars. And in the middle of the webinar, I think it was your mom showed up at your front door. <laughs> <It was. laughs> and, 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 and you you got up and you had to answer it because it was your your uh, your mom. And you handled it so gracefully, so authentically. And I, I was just like, I absolutely love this guy because of the way you handled that. And, and the fact that it's your mom, I got to take care of my mom. Um, but to me, that just kind of encapsulates Ian Brody in my mind. Thank you very much. I mean, that was, you know, obviously I've repeated that same tactic. I've invited my mom down to live with us now and she interrupts every webinar I now do at precisely 37 minutes, 24 seconds, because in split tests, I found that gets the best response from the audience to make me think I'm more authentic. So thank you for that. But so that it's, it's a massive system, uh, you know, designed to make you look authentic. I like that. It is. You know, if you can fake authenticity, wow, you've got it made. That's yeah. something. That's something, right? Yeah. Well, you yeah. know, it's and funny. Was I was looking pre, back. COVID. Go ahead, Jeff. I was looking back at the the old, the episode, the first podcast we did. You know, any idea what it was on, Ian? What? What? what you remember? You remember doing that, by the way? <laughs> I think I interviewed you as well, didn't I? Wasn't we did like a reciprocal? Did I? Oh, probably. Sorry. But it was it was on email marketing. Was it? Oh, yeah, it was. That's a good thing. Yeah, because so, if, so, so, if it was a decade ago, then it's about the time I wrote, I wrote the book. Yeah, twenty thirteen. I wrote the book. So uh, there you yeah. go. So, so I guess the good news is to Jeff's point of authenticity, you stayed on point, right? Like, you know what you're good at and you stayed in, the, you stayed in that lane. I, full disclosure, I didn't actually drink a double espresso this morning. That would be a complete and total disaster for everyone listening and participating in this podcast, uh, as Jeff well knows. But I did read the double espresso email uh, ebook that comes from Ian Brody, and it's a really, really good ebook. So I, I don't know, know that we need to start there, but I, I guess, you know, Maybe starting at a high level, we asked to talk. We we agreed. We want to talk about email. What what are we really talking about when we talk about email marketing? I've been using the phrase email marketing. Are we really talking about email marketing? Or are we talking about email selling? Is there a difference? What what? How do you think about the world of email right now? I'm just sort of curious, kind of like your lens on that that universe of email. Um, that, that's a actually bit. a really good question because I think the terminology seems to have changed as well um, recently. Where when you and I did that first um, podcast, I think people knew what we meant by email marketing. Um, in that it was it wasn't selling, it wasn't pitching at people, it wasn't people signing up and just selling them sales pitches. Um, it was sending them useful, valuable, interesting emails over time to build a relationship, to demonstrate credibility, so that when the time was right. They knew who you were, they would contact you, or you may be able to trigger something um, where they would take action on that because you you th- thrown up a new idea they hadn't thought of. Oh, that's a 
oh, they really know what they're talking about. Let me just get in touch or let me think about that more, etc. Um, now, over time, email marketing has come to mean a whole bunch of different things. Um, you've got, uh, in, in recent years, cold email has really grown a lot. Ever since um, Aaron Ross did it for salesforce.com and grew their business through that, everybody's really got into cold email. So some people think when you say email marketing, um, you mean sending cold emails out to people and little short ones to try and you know, do prospecting. That's not what we're talking about here, nor are we talking about, I guess, the individual emails that if you're in a firm and you're a client partner and you're progressing your way through a sale, you know, the individually and personalized emails you might do to um, connect or deepen a relationship with a client or anything you might do individually. What we're talking about more is um, sending useful, valuable, interesting emails to a, to a large number of people Um and you might call it a newsletter. Um, I, I sometimes don't use that phrase because back in the day, newsletters were kind of associated with really boring, here's some news about the firm. Janice in accounts is going out with Steve in, in sales and stuff like that. And, you know, transferring the paper newsletters to the to, to the electronic world. Um, McKinsey would call it subscribe to our insights. Um, you know, the people might call it thought leadership. I don't want to make too much of it. It's just regular, useful, interesting emails that people have signed up to get uh, is what I mean. And really, the reason we're talking about them is there is no better way to keep in touch with people, to build relationships, to you know, to build credibility, to build trust at scale. Now, obviously, there's no, there's no substitute for you know, building personal relationships and personal contact in professional services. That's the way you, you will get a big sale. That's the way you'll really build close relationships. But you can't build strong personal relationships with everyone. Um, there are lots of potential clients out there or contacts and potentially influential people within even client organizations you're already working for that you don't have the time to, to spend a lot of time with or you don't even know they exist. Um, and that's where email can come in because if people find you via social media, by you know, by searching on the web, by a recommendation from a friend, and they go to your site and they see something useful and they sign up for regular emails, you can then be in regular contact with them, building that relationship to a certain point. Obviously, no one is going to read an email from you, click a link, press a button, and buy a million dollars worth of consulting or legal services or whatever, but they might get in touch. Or when they need to hire someone, they might think, you know what, Ian's firm wrote something really quite insightful about that. Maybe we should put them on the shortlist and get in touch with them and see what they have to say. It's that kind of thing. It's getting the relationship to a level where you are considered for a piece of work. So much to unpack. I, I, there's so many questions I want to ask you. So so you said, um, there's a couple of things you said in there that I thought were really interesting. One is you said it's the best way to build relationships at scale. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Like, has it, there's a lot of people that just don't like believe in email anymore, just in general. Like they're like, kind of like my inbox is a wasteland. I don't read any of this stuff, you know, like how do you, has it changed? You know, there was so much talk about social media is going to change everything. And, and how, what have you seen change? And, 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 you know, uh, that's not even really a question. That's kind of a vague prompt. Well, it's a, it's a, it's a bit of that kind of plus a change. I can't speak French very well. It's been a long time since I spoke, worked in France. But, you know, things do change, but also, you know, things stay the same. Um, and email is the one app everybody has. You know, you can, you can and, you know, let's say, oh, I don't know, it's about 
eight, ten years ago, everybody was on Facebook. Now, you know, kids aren't on Facebook so more, and the future generation will be less Facebooky. Um, Snapchat was going to take over the world, and then it didn't. Um, yes, loads of professionals are on LinkedIn, but loads of people hate it as well. Um, so social has changed things. But whenever you look at any numbers, any data, or any analysis of where, and there's not, there's clearly not a lot of data on which, you know, whether email or social media or whatever leads to more large sales in professional services because it's incredibly difficult to attribute. But if you look at where smaller sales come from, so when e-commerce brands are selling things, you know, it's typically 10, 20 times as many sales will come from clicks from emails as any social media. Um, and I saw someone recently saying they they recently, they, they'd been away for a while, they came back, they resurrected, I think it was a Facebook group with, uh, it was like 20, 30,000 people in it. Um and a Facebook page with 50,000 fans. And they also resurrected their 2,000-person email list, and they got something like 20 times the response from the email list um, that was a fraction of the size that they did from the massive Facebook thing. It's just – and as as you'll know, Facebook have throttled down the the responsiveness of the pages and stuff like that so they can make more ad revenue, all that kind of stuff. So email is much more under your own control. And it just persists, and I think everyone, even if we if we switch now to the the services world rather than the kind of e commerce world, everyone I think who's done email for any significant length of time will have an experience where out of the blue someone will contact them and say, "Oh, can we chat? I've got this project coming up. I'm thinking of doing this. Can we have a quick chat?" And you'll get on a call. Nowadays, it might be a video call or something. And the first thing they'll say was, "Wow." Great to finally meet you. Feels like I already know you because I've been yeah. following you for so long. And they've been following you through your emails. Yes, they may have seen your videos, um, but usually those videos will have been linked by your email. And it, yeah. it, Email is like the, the the thread that runs through it all that links them to other things. And it just... It just kind of works like that. It's 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 kind of the cockroach of the social media <laughs> that long after nuclear war has destroyed all of us, email will still be going. So I'll be in my I'll be in my uh, fallout bunker, uh, sending emails, sending marketing Something emails like every that. Wednesday. Momentum yeah. will keep coming, folks. Okay, <laughs> so um, all right, uh, Jeff, what what questions do you have before I, before we move along here? Sorry. I have a quick question for you. This is very tactical, but I, it the question popped into my head. Is your email to somebody, the is there a one-to-one connection with your blog? So is, is your blog just RSS fed into an email or are these completely different? Um, it used to be completely different, but that was not the best that it could have been. Um, and now it is the same. So just let me explain that a bit further. I used to. So when you're doing email, and I for a long time, I overcomplicated email. You know, you write a book, you think you're a god. And you know, I don't mean <laughs> about email, blah, 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 blah. And I had all sorts of complicated, clever sequences where, you know, I'd send an email and if people clicked a link, it would then send another one and then this would happen and they'd go out down all sorts of paths and it was like, I don't know, 10% better for 500 times the actual effort on my, on my behalf. And I kind of had things really complicated. But when you're doing things like that, it's difficult to translate those kind of micro bits of content onto a blog. And also, I'm also very, very lazy. So I would write an email. <laughs> I would 
schedule it or send it. And then I go, right, I should get that on the blog. I'll do that tomorrow. And of course, I never did. Um, and it was only recently when I cancelled the old email service I was on. I was moving to another one. I went back through all my old emails and thought, oh, um, I even wrote an email about, about it. I, I wrote an email saying I found it. I found a, a guru I can steal ideas from. The best thing about it is I can publish about it, and he'll never know. That's because the guru is me from five years ago. Because I've got all these ideas I've forgotten now, and they're like, hey, some of these are quite good. Um, so I went through all those emails, and eventually they're all on my blog now, or most of them. Um, but they happened five years later, ten years later. So I think it does make sense. To get to it doesn't you don't have to have it on the site, um, but these days I'm using a, a very simple newsletter system. I've really narrowed down to something super simple where um, it's all external. I don't even host it on my own website, but it's kind of you know you know use the clever C name sub domain type thing where it looks like it's on my website, um, and I publish it and it appears on the the blog and it also goes out as a newsletter in parallel, and that's a lot easier. And if you were starting up from scratch, I'd recommend that would be the way you should go. Um, but if you're not and you're happy with your current email system, then then stick with that because transitioning systems is a huge pain. Um, but I, I tend to do them both the same these days. The only exception I would make, you know, if I'm Sending out just a quick short one-off. If I'm gonna, if I want to do a quick survey about what pe- you know, what people might want to hear from me, or um, follow-up automated follow-up emails. If I'm launching a product and someone said they're interested in it, they've gone to watch a video, and I might have some automated follow-ups. The kind of cleverness that you do when you've written a book. That I do out of a separate email system um, because I don't want all those don't quite fit on a blog. They're not they're not super content-rich blog type emails. Um, so I do that out of a separate email system, but that introduces the complexity. I need to keep the two in sync in case someone subscribes and unsubscribes. So, you know. So your your emails are are um, are, are chock full of personalities. So, so like um, I was joking about the double espresso email template, which is sort of like you know we one of your 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 main sources of value early on in, in, a, in a newsletter relationship. And it's just, it's, it's got, it's just really well designed. It's got lots of like just snippets of personality sort of spread throughout both in the design and the delivery and, and what you write. So I guess um, the question I'm leading into is like so much of what you do is about building sort of a, a, a very, a very uh, personal relationship with, with your readers. So it's like they, like, like Jeff said, they get to know you, Ian, really mm-hmm. well. And I think the question I'm kind of leading into is, how does this look different in a larger organization? You know, so when a larger organization is trying to build relationships at scale, they're trying to build relationships between the firm and and those those readers or those potential clients, um, not just one individual person. So, so just talk us through that a little bit. Like, what 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 do you think of when you say, okay, it, it, what's what changes when you go from trying to build a relationship between you as an individual with readers and you know and you know or in this case, a firm and readers? Yeah, I think there are two big um, challenges that the, the firms face. Uh, you're absolutely right. I think it's easy. It's much easier to, if there's just the one of you or you're a small firm and really just one person's the main you know, face of the firm and you, they're, you're building a relationship, whether it's via email or they're going and speaking on stage or, or whatever. Um, and But large firms face that Larger firms face that challenge with all their marketing. You know, they they may have someone who goes and speaks on stage and is the face of the firm on stage, or they um, each of their individual like client partners is building a personal relationship with their clients. 
that maybe in that and as you say you kind of want to have a fir- the relationship with a firm but really the, the people have a relationship with people they don't have relationships with a firm but you can kind of it's more a brand with a firm but but a brand can be like the sum of the individual relationships so if you think of any professional services firm and you go to their website they will all have something about, you know, and their about page. They'll all look a little bit different. They'll all feel a bit different. You know, McKinsey feels different to Boston Consulting. My background is in consulting, so I don't know so much about the caricatures of the of law firms or architects, etc. But within consulting, you know, um, McKinsey is different to BCG. When I used to work for Gemini Consulting, we had a very, very different culture that was all much more collegiate, team-based, and being, being nice to people. Um, but if you, uh, if you went to Eddie Little, it was much more research and innovation based. So firms tend to have their own cultures that have developed over time. So it, it, you can you can build a relationship with that particular culture if that's embodied in the emails. But some the, the and so you need that kind of firm culture to come out through the emails. And I think the best way to do that is to use the real voices of the people who work in the firm in the emails wherever you can so whereas if it's an individual obviously it's your voice when a company tends to write an email they tend to suddenly go all corporate and they tend to you know go go towards the average that you know they'll pull back all the rough edges that individuals have and smooth everything off so as not to upset anyone and will come across as very very bland and we might talk later about the impact of ai for example but you know, it feels to me very often as if when when firms write emails, an AI could have written them because they're so bland. There's no personality in them, and I think it takes a little bit of courage to be a bit bolder and try and include a bit of humour. If your firm, if your people in your firm have jokes with each other, I mean, I did something really simple the other day. I was somebody written to me and asked about, do I need to resubscribe my subscribers to you know to this new newsletter I'm sending out? And the answer was basically, if it's on the same topic as your old newsletter, no. If it's on a different topic, yes. But instead of saying, well, you know, if if your old newsletter was about supply chain and your new newsletter is about marketing, then you have to resubscribe them. I said, well, no, you know, if your old newsletter is about cat juggling and your new newsletter is about parrot training. Now, that is not exactly the world's funniest anecdote, but someone took the time to write back to me and said, that's the funniest thing I've ever heard written about GDPR. So people remember that stuff. People remember if you're just – it just takes a little tweak. So I just put little cartoons in my emails nowadays that I get off um, stock image. So I've got a whole bunch of them, and I tweak them a bit and adapt them. So, and people remember that, and people comment on that. But I think the key to it for a professional firm is to use the voices of the people in the firm because it's very difficult to write trying to encapsulate, I think, the the character – the culture of the firm, but when people speak, it kind of comes out if you if you listen to those people. So a good way of doing that is to interview s- some of your people. So if you want to share a useful some you know, some useful tips on the kind of work that your your client does. So first of all, don't just send out case studies that say you know we did this and the client got these results. Wasn't it great? Because nobody's interested in them unless they happen to be in that tiny sliver of the buying process where they want to check your credentials out. That's not of interest to anyone. But if you reformulate that and say, you know, how to get these results and you tell them what the client did, you know, they did this and then they did this in enough detail that people can go, oh, yeah, we could maybe try that. Then that's adding value. But the real secret to it is if you're a firm, 
interview one of your project managers who was working on that project and ask them in their voice to say, well, what did you do? What did, we, what did you do with the client? Oh, yeah, well, me and so-and-so, we went off and we went down to the shop floor and we looked at this. And then we thought, oh, my word, there's a – if you capture their voice, the personality of the firm will come across through that. Um, that, of course, needs someone to edit it and interview them and stuff like that. Um, but I think one of the secrets – and there's lots of things you can do, but one of the secrets is to is – to, um, interview the people in your own firm and get them to tell the stories. And the second bit of it is just stories. Um, and our story sounds soft, doesn't it? Oh, you know, we're a professional firm. We don't write emails to tell stories. We give useful information to our clients that will be valuable. But if you think about it, the very first business bestseller of the modern era was Tom Peters in Search of Excellence, which came out of research he did for McKinsey, traipsing around because they couldn't find a decent job for him because he wasn't all you know wasn't all that exceptional at the time and he was in a he wasn't in the strategy practice and stuff like that trips around asked people but he turned it into a book with really interesting stories that made heroes out of the ceos and the shop floor supervisors that he talked about and that was what gripped people you know if it'd be if it had just been a hard analysis of the 7s method and all you know etc Nobody would have been interested, but the fact he told some stories about people who are little heroes and trying to resurrect American business, that made it interesting. And you can tell the same stories about your clients, and you can do those stories in your own people's voices, and that will inject personality into what you do. And then if you take off the brakes a little bit and put a bit of humor in and stuff like that, that'll that'll work wonders. And the, the final thing to mention there is the bar is so low that you don't have to do a lot. I mean, if you great thing to do is to sign up to all your competitors' newsletters and look at them and think, you know what, it's probably not going to be that hard to do something a bit more interesting. I laughed when you were talking about uh, client work and one of the things I, I, you know, there's always this refrain that professional services is, is a people business, right? People do business with people, mm. all that kind of stuff. But then you go to you go to the, the stories about their work and the people are noticeably absent. <laughs> All of a sudden, all those people that are so critically important don't even exist. It's like they weren't there. It's, it's like an organizational story. Is, is, and there's not a single person involved. There's not a client. There's not a nobody. That is really and, uh, you know. I, I uh, well, the first thing I learned about selling when I was kind of working my way up the ranks through selling. One of the things I mean, Gemini was really good at some things and really bad at other things. Um, one of the things Gemini was really good at was selling, um, unusually for a consulting firm. Um, and the, when you went on a, a course to learn how to sell. Um, as a consultant, the first thing you learned was to 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 gather together client stories. To always to to, and it was stories from the firm. You it was always in the firm. What we found was this because it doesn't have to be your story. You can learn it from other people in the mm-hmm. firm, um, and always make the client the hero of the story, and always talk about the people. So don't say we worked with Johnson and Johnson. You know, we worked with, or I worked with so and so. That you know, name them. You got to get the permission, obviously, but give the names of the people and tell their story of how they were really struggling with this problem. Builds empathy with the person you're talking to who has the same problem, and they were str- and they and we spoke to them about, it, and then we did this, and then and then suddenly the the client is the hero, the person you're talking to sees themselves in the, self in the hero and getting the accolades at the end, etc. And it. And we just were taught, the first thing we were taught was it was all about telling people stories, not about, well, we worked with Johnson & Johnson and doubled their revenue in seven years. Nobody's interested in that. You're listening to Rattle & Pedal, divergent thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Your hosts are Jason Malicki and Jeff McKay. Yeah. 
and my neck is getting um, tired as I keep <laughs> no, nodding at all of these points that you're you're making. It is um, well, at least I've I've found this to be true that buyers want to hear consultants' point of view. Give me your unvarnished point of view, mm. um, because. They they know that you're exposed to all these different situations and experiences, and they want to know what's going on out there. And consultants just are afraid to share it. Yeah. They're just afraid to share it. And, and to your point around, you know, corporate um, sanding off the r- rough edges, that that is one of the biggest mistakes, and I think so easily fixable is to just get a point of view that perhaps annoys people, but only some people, right? Yeah. I need to do that. And it, it comes down to that thing. If you think about it, logically, it, it, comes to, it really comes down to, you know, come in, if you shave all the edges off and you have a point of view that nobody disagrees with, nobody's going to strongly agree with it either. It's going to be the same as everyone else is seeing. So essentially you're not going to lose. Nobody's going to hate you, but you're going to come second or third all the time. And in our world, there, you know, there are no silver medals. You have to win one. It's better to win one or two than to come second in 50. It, you know, that really yeah. doesn't help you. You've got to, you've got to step out, step out a little. It's interesting. I, I, I think part of the, I think podcast series, I think I did with you, Jason, was um, I interviewed Charlie Green, who wrote the trusted advisor. And yeah. I asked him what, you know, what, what was the number one thing you would do to build trust. And I thought he'd talk about relationship building and, you know, the trust equation about being reliable and, you know, um, being close to your clients and all that kind of stuff. And he didn't, he said, have a point of view. He said, have a point of view because uh, uh, there's the logical thing I just talked about, but I think there's also the emotional thing with clients that if you are open and honest enough to, to expose yourself by sharing a point of view that they could disagree with, they're going to trust you more because you, you you know if you're always couching it and always saying things that you want them you think they want to hear they're not really going to trust you. Yeah, I, I, I'm thinking about uh, Jeff. The interview we recently did with with Matt and Rory on the Rain Rainmaker Genome Project and all their work around you know really sort of just being an activator inside of your client organizations. Um, and then I was thinking about, it's funny, as you're talking about a point of view, I was thinking about if you, if, if nobody actually disagrees with your point of view, well, then it's not a point at all. So it's not no. a point, it's plain. <laughs> so it's not a point of view, it's a plain view. Ah, the, geo, the ge, geometric uh, <laughs> analysis <laughs> of it, but completely correct. <laughs> so, so I guess you got a plain view. But anyway, okay. So um, I, I, I want to keep us a little bit on, on schedule yeah. here. So um I guess may, maybe what I'd like to shift to is is just a little bit of a discussion about what's working and what's not, you know. So, um, I mean, as we kind of open this a little bit, it's like there's no there's no que- no question that the inbox is a little saturated. We're all getting sort of a little bit inundated, and so uh, you talked a lot about personality and humor and bringing your culture forward and not varnishing the edges. I think which is really really great advice. Um, so we'll just maybe talk a little bit more about that. What what do you see? Working now? What do you see? Not working now? Don't go in any particular order. Uh, whatever is better for you. Well, I think 
I think we've we've kind of touched on what's work not working now. And as you said, it, it, part of it is driven by just people getting more more and more email. Um, and I, I think the last time we were, we were chatting, you were kind of throwing your arms up and complaining about all the cold emails you were getting that all seemed to have the same subject line. And I think that's yes. a symptom of a, an ongoing problem that is sameness. Uh, and with the, in the cold email case, there's nothing wrong with cold email. The problem is everybody then goes and Google's best practices and they all copy the same template and you end up with 10 of the same thing in your inbox, which then everybody starts ignoring. It's kind of like a, a tragedy of the commons thing. If you're the only person doing it, it's great. If everybody's doing it, it just doesn't work. Um, and I think we're going to see a lot more of that. Um, if you look at the impact of AI, at the minute, we're seeing a lot of content being produced by AI for SEO-type purposes. It's going on websites. It's fooling Google at the minute. You know, Who knows whether it's going to fit this. Say it doesn't, but it really does. I've seen so much evidence of highly ranked websites that are just filled with AI content. Um, and I think it's going to start hitting emails soon as well. When it gets to the level at which you can press a button on an AI and it can write without kind of being quite so janky, um, you know, it doesn't matter for Google, but it does matter when a human's reading it. But what that's going to result in is samey. It's going to be well-written samey content because it's going to draw the – all the AIs are working on the same data set um, because it's all publicly available information on the web. They're all using similar algorithms of what good writing looks like. And you might prompt them to write in a, you know, more humorous or a whatever way. But what it doesn't have is you. It really is missing your firm's experience. So what people will start getting is – newsletters from people, individuals and organizations who haven't sent newsletters before because it's been too much work, suddenly finding they can press a button and do it and produce something that looks on the surface valuable, but really is the same stuff recycled that the clients have, have seen a hundred times before. And so it's not valuable. It's If it was the only first time they'd seen it, just like with cold email, it would be valuable. You know, the five tips for having a productive day. Wake up at 5 a.m. You know, that's the first time you read it. Well, obviously, I go, oh, my God. But, but you know, it's, some people are going to read it and go, oh, right, I'll try that. I'll try that. That's really good. The hundredth time, it's just, you know, thrown away. Um, so we're going to see more and more of that. And so if you want to stand out, I think you have to have ideas that are different, so, and where are those ideas going to come from? They're going to come from your own experience as a firm or, or a spark of genius. I mean, you may have some geniuses in your firm, but but your ideas tend to come from your own work and being different and exploring different fields. A lot of my best ideas come from just my interests. I, I, I'm really interested in in kind of 18th century, 19th century philosophers. So I'll write about you know, John Stuart Mill's Guide to Networking because I find that quite interesting and nobody else writes about that because nobody else in my field is interested in 19th century philosophers. Um, or it might be you're really interested in psychology and applying that to your work or you see the parallels with something else or you I have a friend who really likes history and um, will often write about leadership based on American presidents but not the famous ones you know, or, or generals or whatever. And it's really interesting stories. So some of it comes from your own individual um, experiences, but a lot of it comes from your own work. Nobody's done the work you've done with clients. Nobody's got the same stories you have of clients who discovered something, found something, made certain improvements, realized something unusual um, with your help. So new and different ideas um, are, are always going to be interesting or 
if it's going to be the same ideas, it's got to be presented in a different and interesting way. And again, AI is not going to be able to find that. You're going to have to look into your experience, your funny stories. Um, AI is never going to tell clients about their worst ever sales meeting, for example, um, or their worst ever client project. But you might have the bravery to do it in a firm and talk about, you know, projects that didn't go so well and what you learned from them. Hopefully they were a little bit in the past rather than last week. Or, um, you know, talk about some of the challenges your clients faced and the, with their permission, some of the mistakes they were making and how they were fixed. AI doesn't have access to that private information. So that's going to set you apart. So I think it really does come back to this, you know, something new and interesting and different that's just written in a slightly different way that can only come from your experience is what is going to help you stand out. I mean, the if I'm thinking, and a good way, a good way to do it is to look at what newsletters you read, and what stands out for you, and what you just brush aside. Um, so, for example, if I'm, I mean, a newsletter I love to read every week is from Professor Scott Galloway of, I think he's from NYU, he's a marketing professor, yeah. And so, there's three things I think that stand out um, about Scott's emails. One is they are ve- there's a lot of data in them, so he does the work, or he has a research team which does does the work and analyzes things and pulls together the graphs and the facts. And those make you change your mind. You, they, you, they let you see the world in new light. You go, oh, I had no idea. I had no idea this was happening. I had no idea of that. I thought this, but actually that. So that's one good thing. But the second thing, a thing he thinks he does marvelously, is he weaves in personal stories. So if he's talking about how things have changed um, and how you know educational is so, is so much more expensive now, uh, but it opens up opportunities. He'll talk about his own life experiences and his how his dad left his mom and he, she had to bring him up on his own, but education saved him. And he, you know, back in the day there was an eighty percent acceptance rate at whatever. Now it's only five percent. All that. So he'll throw in personal stories and that, or about his kids and what they're interested, in, and that makes it really interesting and personal. Um, and he has controversial points of view as well. So going back to what Jeff was saying, he has points of view about things. He doesn't just state the facts and figures. He tells you what where he thinks things are going. And I find that stimulating. I find it a little bit funny that th- um, how he's doing it. And I find it um, eye-opening, the data he's bringing me that I haven't seen before. And if you can do something like that, that is, you know, that is always going to find an audience. That is always going to find an audience. It's funny. He came. I, I read him too, and, I, and I, he came to mind when you were talking about a number of things. But one thing that I thought of was that what's interesting about him is that the, the question you had about do I need to um, get reaffirmation if the topic changes? And I would argue that, like with him, no, because the point is, I wrote an article about this recently, and in, in, in the article was basically, are you building thought leaders or are you building thought leadership? And so, and, the, and I used him as an example as, you know, someone that I follow, I'm sort of following him and I'm following his view on the mm. world, not him on any particular top, yeah, topic or right. subject matter. When you say, yeah, um, when you send up, you give him permission to send you useful stuff about anything he wants to send you because you know, it's going to yeah. be good. Whereas someone yeah. else, it might be only on a narrow topic. Yeah. And, 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 and quite frankly, as someone else that, you know, he, he's all over the place, right? So like mm. he'll, he'll, he'll go in and out of topics of all shapes and sizes. Um, and, you know, some other organizations, if they did that, they, they, may, they may alienate the readership. Mm. The readership goes, well, I don't, I don't want to hear about that from you. I'm interested in hearing about marketing. I'm interested in hearing mm. about email. I'm interested in hearing about whatever it might be. Um, that's what I come to for, for you or come 
for from you. I don't know. I'm losing. My transitions aren't working. Okay. So, um, all right, Jeff, what did we miss? And then I want to ask you the same question, Ian, and then we'll wrap. Uh, well, it's, it's funny as you, you guys start to give examples, um, ahead of this conversation, I went back through my email and started to count all the different kind of newsletters and emails that I get. Um, I got up to 21 when I stopped counting. 21 email newsletters. Uh, But then when I started to say, well, which ones do I actually read? (laughs) Kind of narrowed down to like three or four. And all of them... um, have the characteristics that Ian is talking about. And here, here are the, the ones that jumped out at me. I mean, Seth Godin, I've been listening to him for probably over a decade. And there's a guy who's disciplined, who has an opinion and emails every day. Mm. Uh, James Clear, Atomic Habits, I think is a, another one who brings those characteristics together. Uh, Shane Parrish, um, Arnhem Street. Mm-hmm. Um, and then one that I just absolutely always read for the, the point that Ian made about, you know, new, new insights is the CB Insight newsletter that comes out from uh, Anon Samwal. That, I mean, every time I open it, I'm like, damn, I didn't, I didn't yeah, know that was mind, going on. It? Yeah, it's just great insights. And, and I think all of those manifest what Ian is talking about. I think what's interesting is you named people. Um, the emails, the people that are sending the emails, which sort of like reemphasizes um, Ian's point. And even CB Insights is a very large, large organization. And that email newsletter has been written about. We should include it in the show notes. I don't know if the article is still out there, but but basically the, the email got a massive lift, lift, thousands of percent when they went from sort of a corporate CB Insights newsletter to a sort of a personal note from Anand, which he signs off love. So the the the, the sign the sign off is love Anand, and uh, it's it's a very humorous interesting email and, and, it, and it's done exceptionally well. In fact, it's been sort of the, their lever for, for growth. Um, so anyway, it's interesting. I mean, you know, it's really hard to think of like an organization's newsletter that you follow. You think of people. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right, Ian, what do we miss? And then we'll wrap. You know, I just building on what Jeff was saying and what you were just saying there. I think that's, I think that becomes a challenge for larger organizations when, when what we know factually is that people tend to follow people, build relationships with people, and even follow company emails if more if they're coming from an individual, how do you do that in a larger organization? Because a couple of things are happening. One is um, someone's got to you've got to have someone to do that. Someone has got to be able to write those. And I think one way of thinking about it is. And it's, it, it, I'm sure you guys see this all the time. But one challenge you see is as people grow in their in their within a professional firm, um, many of them will be, be very competent practitioners, but do not like business development, and do not want to go out and schmooze, as they would say, and shake hands and press the flesh and whatever. 
And often professional firms struggle to know what to do with these people because their traditional route to partner is, you know, you're a doer and then you're a manager and then you're a business winner. And those are the kind of levels in, in, in most professional firms. And sometimes if you're in a consulting firm, you might have a thought leader. Um, but there aren't that many of them because it's really hard. But what you can't, one route you can take people down is to win business, not through personally interacting, but to be the, the email writer, to be the, the, the writer of the business or the editor of the email newsletter and to get credit for bringing in business that way. So I think, you know, if you're a certain size as a firm, where you can afford, where if you recognize that an email newsletter is going to really help you get more clients or, or nurture clients more and win more business, um, it's worth in thinking about, could this be a career path for one or more people to go down to be the people who write this for a few years and build up some consistency? Because it can't be this, a different person every week. You know, you're not going to get that I'm looking forward to type thing. Um, so that that's one, one thought on that front. And I think the the other side of it is also that you, you need to have the right attitude from the partners who are winning business directly because they've got to treat it like a marketing asset of the firm. I think sometimes you get with – um, apologies if this is you as a partner, but sometimes you get client partners who are maybe a little bit insecure, um, and so they try and keep all the communication with the client to themselves – and they, you know, they don't want to let anyone else talk to the client because they might screw things up. I've got a great relationship. I'll do all. I'll tell them about that. Or I, if we need someone to talk to them about in, in the consulting world, you'd find it was the odd partner who was wanted to be to the client, the expert on marketing and supply chain and HR and whatever. But the reality is to the client, that's just not valid. They're thinking, no, they can't possibly be their firm's greatest expert on every single topic. But they just, the reality was they didn't want to let other people talk to them in case they screwed it up or maybe even made a better relationship than them. Um, and... But the better partners, for example, would go, oh, right, we've got a seminar coming up. I'm going to invite my client to that. And they might see some of our other people talking about a topic that we're not doing any work in. And that might, and then I may be able to talk to them afterwards and maybe introduce the expert. Or I'll send them our thought leadership, and that'll get them thinking about this. And they need to treat the email newsletter in the same way. Um, but the one difference is with a seminar and a, a, you know, a bit of thought leadership or whatever, the partner has the control over when they introduce that to the client with an email newsletter they don't they don't even know who it's going to but what so what it means they need to do is they need to be to know what's coming out and when so they can think about it and then maybe nudge the client the clients they don't say did you see that article in uh in in our in our newsletter last week about so-and-so so-and-so i have a feeling you guys might be struggling with a similar issue over yeah. in your so-and-so division you know if you want i could bring the author of that in or I bring the consultant in who, who spoke about that, or, you know, the professional spoke about that, and, and we could have a chat about that. You know, that's a bit pushy. It wouldn't happen quite like that. But you, you see what I mean, that you've got to be open to using it as a way of winning business rather than seeing it as two completely separate channels of I will do my talking to the client and win business that way, and somehow some newsletter will maybe keep them happy another way. No, we have to bring them together. Um, the newsletter is great in that it stands on its own for clients or potential clients you're not talking to, but for the ones you are talking to, you've got to harness that to get the most out of it. Yeah. You know, Ian, as you were saying that, um, I, I, I had written down a question I, I wanted to ask you, but as you were you were talking, I, I, I feel like you you answered it for me. Um, the question is, okay. How would a firm get started doing this or shift gears? And, and uh, this thought 
popped in my mind is, as you were talking, there's kind of two levels here. The first one is this strategic, cultural leadership decision about who we, who are we as a firm? What risk are we willing to take in terms of putting ourselves out there, having a point of view, um, having this, you know, collaborative interaction of our best thinkers that bring the best part of us to the firm? It requires leadership, right? Setting a tone. Um, and if that decision isn't made are not clear, this is not going to be successful. The second thing um, to me is the easier part, and I, I, I thought it was going to be the harder part, is, okay, how do you operationalize that? What are the mechanics? Hmm. What's the coordination? What's the technology? What's the cadence? All that kind of coordination stuff seems to me to be a lot easier than the first one. Yeah. Um, what, what are your thoughts? No, absolutely. I think, and I think it's worth recognizing for that first question, you know, the right answer for some people might be, no, we're not that sort of firm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, either we're a firm of, I, I can't even remember what, what the classifications used to be. The, um, the, uh, it was in a book 20 years ago about kind of rocket scientists who did lots of thinky work. And then there was people in the middle and then there was people who were just doers. You know, if you're a doing firm, if your main skill is you're just really great at getting work done at a good value price for your clients, you know, maybe a newsletter where you're trying to share new information and insights, but maybe that's not what clients are looking for from you. You know, maybe that's just not right. And it's just as brave to say to yourself, actually, it's not for us. We're not, you know, let's not pretend we're that sort of firm. Um, but I think it is a really quite a, a, a a thing to say, look, we're going to invest in this. We won't see revenue coming from clicks in emails. We'll see it from incremental revenues in all our accounts and somehow new accounts appearing out of nowhere that we know, won't know about, but it's because they subscribed to our newsletter and then got in contact with us. And of course, the person they get in contact with will take all the credit. <laughs> the newsletter will never get any credit. Um, but deciding that, yes, we think the evidence is there, this is going to work. Um, and then to, I think organizationally, it's tougher than it is technology wise because you've got to have this thing where the partners are willing to the client facing folks are willing to use it to help them rather than fight against it and people are willing to contribute to it i said earlier it's best if your your own voices are in it and you've got to develop someone and if that if you get someone who writes the the email newsletter for two years um maybe 50 percent of the time and 50 percent of the time they're doing client work or whatever it is if the end of that 50 percent of the time you know they don't get a great job out of it there's probably not going to be something, you know, it's got to be seen as a, as a good thing to do. They've got to be fated in the, in, the, in the organization for what they're doing, assuming they do a good job. Otherwise, no one will want to do it. The operational side, it, it's usually keep it simple to start off with. Um, you know, whatever tools you use, whether you're using Salesforce or SalesLoft or any kind, they've all got email marketing technology. It's usually better to stick with what you've got. Um, just to get things going. Because you can always, if you do it in a simple way where you just, let's send a newsletter every week, we'll start off every month and then we'll do one every week before you get into the fancy, well, why don't we have a new sequence when people click this, it does this and then it does this and it links them to that. Do not start off with that because it'll never get off the ground. Um, start with the tech you've got. You can easily migrate afterwards if all you've got is regular newsletters and, and a list. Um, and 
kind of take it from there, keep it, keep to simple stuff early on, um, and especially make it a success early on. You keep it going with the simple stuff. I mean, we know that the more personal emails, the better, the more frequent, the better. You know, Seth Godin sends it. People will say, oh, my God, I can't send an email every week. Clients will, you know, never be able to deal with that amount of stuff. If it's interesting, they will. Seth Godin sends an email every day and millions of people read. James Clear sends an email every day. Um, and don't be afraid to just get started. Um, the interesting thing is James Clear, I think, started his email newsletter about f- 10 years ago. It was about photography. Um, and then it became about travel. And then it became about, because he was a, he was a, an undergrad in um, medicine, and it was about health and exercise and stuff like that. And then it was about the habits needed to be better, have better health. And then somehow the habits bit clicked and, and it took over and then it just became all about habits. Um, and if he hadn't started writing about something different and tried a few things, he never would have got to the thing that made him incredibly successful and in selling 10 million copies of his book or whatever it is and 2 million email subscribers. So don't try not to be over analytical in terms of, yes, there's this process you've got to go through to decide, yes, we're going to do it and to decide the broad areas we're going to write in. But don't spend six months trying to think the exact tone we'll write in and all of the topics we're ever going to, because you'll never get started and inevitably you'll be wrong. You know, you, you, you just have to try it and see what people react to, to know what's resonating with your clients and therefore what to do more of. And I guess that would be the final clue. Make it interactive. Ask, you know, don't turn it into a, we are experts, here's our view. Get people to give you feedback, encourage them to reply, run yeah. surveys, all that kind of stuff. Um, get res- do things that will get people to respond. Most people won't, of course, but the ones you do are going to be closer relationships because it allows you then to speak back to them, but also you get feedback on what's working. Yeah, that's that's the best advice is, is just start. Yeah. So. <laughs> just start. Okay, I have two final asks. Um, ask number one is, can we maybe not do this every 10 years, maybe do this a little more frequently? Oh, okay. You, you never know. I mean, unless I put you off for another five years before you do another episode. I mean, that, that, that could true. repeat. That's true. It's the rise and fall of rattle and pedal. Okay, so that's uh, ask number one. Ask number two, if listeners want to find you, where do they find you? I uh, go to two places. You can go to, to ianbrody.com, um, which is my site, Which and right at the front of that, there is a sign-up to get my um, my emails. Or if you go to unsnoozeyourinbox.com, it's the same kind of thing. You can just sign up, get the emails, get the double espresso welcome email, little ebook that shows you how to welcome people to your list in a way that enthuses them and gets them wanting to open your all your future emails. Um, and message me, you know, sign up and then send me an email when you when you when you get the first email. Say hi, say you joined from the podcast what you liked, what you thought was awful, and I'll chat back to you. Sounds great. Ian, it's always a pleasure. Great to see you. Great to hear hear your voice. Um, glad you're doing well, and I really appreciate you sharing your thoughts on email with us and with our listeners. And, uh, you know, just, it was just a, it was great, great time spent. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Find content related to this episode at rattleandpedal.com. Rattle and Pedal is also available on iTunes and Stitcher.